Come with me to Isaiah 47. Isaiah 47. We're trekking through Isaiah, moving along. I don't know who prayed for it, but you got an answer to prayer. It is beautiful outside. It'll be beautiful tomorrow. Tomorrow we'll break summer temperatures. And this weekend, well, April showers bring, no, it's March, isn't it? I'm so confused. I think so is Oklahoma. We'll be all right. Yeah, that's all right. That means you got to start mowing. Isaiah 47. We'll open in prayer, and we'll look at this chapter, um, and we'll see how we go. We should. This this is a short lesson, I think, shorter lesson this evening. Uh, Father, we thank you for this time, uh, a blessing to come together. Uh, I know it's a beautiful, beautiful day outside, and things are looking uh, up from winter. And uh, I've noticed a lot of things starting to sprout up. Father, the the refreshing of spring is in the air. But Father, as we look into your Word, we want this to be the refreshment we need. We need to be a people of your word and to understand the prophecies you set forth. And, and as we do, we can uh, look at the news and, 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 and things that are happening in society and, and know that you've known them beforehand. Father, I know there's a few people that are under the weather, people that are uh, recovering. We especially lift up Ron tonight as he's recovering. Uh, just bless his body in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, 47. 47. Uh, w- this is the... Uh, trifecta of chapters dealing with Babylon, 45, 46, and 47. 48, God's going to get into some uh, reminders of promises to the nation of Israel, to because uh, Israel is obstinate. And in chapter 49, we will look at Israel's sec- the second song, a servant song in this portion of Isaiah. And remember, we shifted... This is the second half of Isaiah, not Deutero-Isaiah. I know I'm going to repeat that often, because people at some point will say, well, there's two different writers. There's not. Well, I'm sticking to that one. I will not bring up that argument all the time, just the fact. Um, However, when we look at this, we are dealing with a lot of prophecy from this point, I mean, from the point that we've been in so far out. A lot of prophecies. Uh, sometimes when you look at prophecies, and I want you to be as clear as I can, there's there's a thing in, if you go to school and you take a class on prophecy, they'll, they'll always mention double reference prophecies. I don't know if anybody's ever heard that. That means there's something that happens short in a prophecy, and there's also a long fulfillment. So something short and something long. Um, I don't uh, really hold to that as much. I think there's something sometimes short that is similar to it, not exact, but similar that says that the ultimate will always be fulfilled. So God's keeping his words by something short. Uh, and then we're going to see that tonight because we're going to talk about Babylon. And if you don't know this, Babylon was predicted to be finished off by God and destroyed. And if you look at your map and you hear in your news, Babylon's not destroyed. They're still around. It's Iraq. Okay, so we're going to talk about that a little bit tonight. And I do look at prophecies when God says, I look to the ultimate not anything short or not something that's similar, because if it's similar, it's not it. Okay, but there's a picture. And the prophecy that runs through a lot of Isaiah that you have to know is those that curse you know, God's people or those that bless God's people will have that returned to them. So Babylon is one of those that have cursed Israel, so they're just getting that back on them anyway. 
But there's a final predicament, and that's what we're going to look at a little bit tonight, the, the ultimate fall of Babylon. And I guess we could start off with two facts. Uh, one day, and, and we could do this too, as we look at prophecy. Where does Israel stand? Have, has Israel ever fulfilled or been fulfilled in, in biblical prophecy exactly the ultimate God wants for them? And the answer is no. Okay, so, but yet there is still an ultimate for Israel and for them to be fulfilled. So one day they will be completely exalted and put in the proper place that God wants them to. Right now they're not. They're not the, uh, I think I said just a few months back, we call them the lead nation, the head nation, the, the holy nation. God never, ever has called any nation holy other than Israel, and Israel's never been holy. Uh, we're studying on Sunday the Sermon on the Mount. And if we look at some of those things in the Sermon on the Mount, we can say these things line up with God's holiness. Has Israel fulfilled that? Because they have to because they're a holy nation. And we can say, no, they've never done that. They've done the externals a lot in the law, but they haven't done the internals. So just plug that into this too. Israel has to be a holy nation that calls upon the Lord to come. Okay, And that's so shown, we did that all through the minor prophets when we did that for a long time. Second fact that we have to deal with tonight is Babylon will be completely devastated and destroyed. <clears throat> and when I mean completely, I mean completely. Now someone will ultimately say, well today Iraq doesn't play a big part in, in world history. And I would say, well, because Iran's kind of overrunning them, Russia overruns them, but they're still very much alive, and their philosophy, I think, is more important. Their philosophy is there, because Iran is not as Islamic and as, uh, I guess the best way to put it, idolatry-driven as much as Iraq was and always has been and will be once again. And when we look at, uh, for instance, if you look at Revelation 17 and 18, you will see Babylon has to rise again. So what's going to be that form of Babylon? I have no clue. It hasn't happened today, so I can't say, hey, there it is. And I would never, I don't like always saying, that could be it. I try to stay away from those, because uh, that will usually make you wrong. Remember the guy that predicted the end, I think it was 1988? And then he had to rewrite the book, and what, what he made it, 92 or 94? Did anybody remember? We kept write, rewriting the book, and finally I think he what? Yeah, yeah. Oh, really? That's yeah, it was a, but he wrote these books that kept predicting the end date, and he kept rewriting it, just changing the date, kind of like an evolutionist changing the dates in the book to get it. We'll get it right with these numbers sooner or later. We'll get the right number. Um, uh, but I don't, I don't think we need to do a predicted date thing. We can see certain certain trends, and I will say this: I look for trends that are happening. Um, today's crisis, and I'm not going to make a whole big deal about with Corona. What is it? It's a trend. It's a trend. How will people deal with things that will be astronomically affecting everybody? Look at the ramifications on this virus. Um, again, I'm not a prophet, but I don't think it's as big as it really is, but it's damaging you know, airlines and foods and schools, and it's having deep ramifications. But we say this is a trend, because why? You look at people, do they trust God? Is there a huge trust for God out there? Or is there a... a a fear of dying, you know, kind of thing. Uh, I, now, I don't want to get it and die. I'll be honest with you, and I don't want any of you to get it and die. But we're all going to die from something, so the fear of death shouldn't be there. 
we should be exalting the Lord. And and here, and and again, I don't want to get too much sidetracked, but when we talk about these two ideals, what Israel will be like in the end, and what Babylon will do in the end, because Revelation does call them into play, I think Isaiah is giving us a picture of what, what will be the final destination of Babylon, not what they are today. Because uh, I remember in my short lifetime how Iraq has been up and down in world history, and they're not gone. How's that? And until they're gone, this, this prophecy can't be fulfilled. Now, one of the things we know is Babylon's religion is Islamic. They're, it's ruled by Islam. And Islam worships Allah. And Allah's, um, how do I say this? Allah's seed, what he came from, what people developed out of, it was from the moon god. So he's being worshipped. He's idol- It's an idolatrous religion, even though they say they have one god and his name is Allah. Well, that's, again, when you believe something long enough, whether it's true or not, it becomes your truth. And they believe Allah is the one true God. They don't go back to where did it come from and who was this guy, Muhammad. And if you did all that stuff, you'd say, this is nonsense. I don't know how anybody could believe in it. Um, one of the things, I don't think it's in this lesson. I, I think I did it for Sunday or something. But do you realize, no, I do I do have it. Um, in the Quran, there are zero, com- now, you Ask me, have you read it? Yes, I read it. Don't you? Don't. Don't read it. But there are no commands in the Quran to love anything. To love anything. I mean, just like love a stone. It's not there. It's, you know. Uh, remember, it's written by a half-crazed maniac anyway. So um, that's going to get great reviews, I guess, if somebody hears that. Uh, um, but it does, but, but the Quran does tell you to hate things with a vehement hate. For instance, it tells you to hate Israel, hate Jews, hate uh, any heretical religion that is opposing Islam, which includes Christianity. So, um, and here's what I say. I don't care, personally, what they believe. I know what I believe, and I'm secure in that. But God keeps records. In this case, God does keep records, and I believe one of the things God did that empowered Babylon was allowed them to discipline Israel, because Israel needed discipline, and they did. They turned out to be worse uh, than Israel, and they did worse to Israel than they were supposed to. And we're going to look at some of those things as we go through this chapter, and how God will deal with that. And we will see that when Babylon falls, they'll realize that they didn't fall because of surrounding enemies. They will realize they fell because of the hand of God. So let's let's just read through this chapter real quick, or read through it. Kind of quick has nothing to do. It's it's 15 verses, but um, then we'll go back and go through it. It's basically four sections. We'll we'll look at the four sections of it, and uh, and then we'll say he has these things as we go along. Has these things fully occurred? Kind of thing. So. Uh, Come down and sit in the dust, O virgin daughter of Babylon. Sit in the ground without a throne, O daughter of the Chaldeans. For you shall no longer be called tender and delicate. Take the millstones and grind meal. Remove your veil, strip off your skirt, uncover the leg, cross the rivers. Your nakedness will be uncovered. Your shame also will be exposed. I will take vengeance and will not spare a man. Our Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, is his name, the Holy One of Israel. Sit silently and go into darkness, O daughter of the Chaldeans. 
For you will no more be called the queen of kingdoms, which is kind of an interesting terminology, uh, queen of the kingdoms. I was angry with my people. I profaned my heritage and gave them into your hand, and you did not show mercy to them. On the aged you made your yoke very heavy. Yet you said, I am a queen forever. These things you shall not, uh, you did not consider nor remember the outcome of them. Now then, hear this, you sensual one, who dwells securely, who says in your heart, I am, and there is no one besides me. I shall not sit as a widow, nor shall I uh, know loss of children. But these things shall come on you suddenly in one day, loss of children and widowhood. They shall come on you in in full measure, in spite of your many sorceries, in spite of your great power and your of of your spells, and you felt secure in your wickedness and said, No one sees me, your wisdom and your knowledge you have deluded have deluded you. For you have said in your heart, I am, and there is no one besides me, and that matches with the verse previously said. But evil will come on you, which you will not know how to charm away, and disaster will fall on you, for which you cannot atone, and destruction about which you do not know will come on you suddenly. Stand fast now in your spells and in your many sorceries and with which you have labored from your youth. Perhaps you will be able to profit. Perhaps you'll, you may uh, cause trembling. You are wearied with your many counsels. Let now the astrologers, those who prophesy by the stars, those who predict by the new moon, stand up and save you from what will come upon you. Good luck, right? Behold, they have become like stubble. Fire burns them. They cannot deliver themselves from the power of the flame. They, uh, there will be no coal to warm by, nor a fire to sit before. So have those become to you with whom you have labored, who you have trafficked with you from your youth. Each has wandered in his own way. There is none to save you. So it's a pretty uh, straightforward chapter. And you can see, again, God's... Uh, poignant way of saying things, his, his digging way of uh, getting his point across, and his, uh, and I'm going to say it, and I want you to understand what I'm saying, his flippant sarcasm, because he's basically saying, this is what you've thought as a nation, and you've thought really wrong. You've done some wrong things. So I'm going to look at f- basically four parts to this, um, but before I get into all that, um, I want to give a, a little bit of a background so we can again regroup and know where we're at. When Isaiah was writing this book, Babylon was a significant world power, but not the world power. Uh, At this time, remember again, Assyria is the world power. But Babylon was rising to to that. If If you know anything about world history, this portion of world history was one succession of empires after another. And reading the book of Daniel, if we over, uh, kind of not overlaid it, because Daniel was a little bit further in history, but if you put them, put them together, you would see uh, Daniel had his picture of the Babylonian Empire, then the next empire was Greece, and then Rome, and then the, the ten nations and all that stuff. So not Let's see, I missed one. Media Persians were in there. So we got those succeeding, and those that were empire after empire after empire. And then we come later in history, we could see other empires that rose and fell. One of the greatest empires was the Ottoman Empire, then the British Empire, and they were all called empire. And then the Chinese 
had an empire with an emperor, that kind of thing. And I think they're ruling today because they started this whole mess. So that's my... But, but if you notice this, when we talk about empires, it's, it's, the, it's the need to rule the world and put your, uh, not stamp on it, but your uh, group of deities in charge. Because remember, it's a war of gods that's happening uh, more than anything. So when Isaiah is writing the book, Babylon's Rising, Assyria is the ruling factor at that time. Uh, and this is the third time in the book of Isaiah that, that, uh, that Isaiah himself is going to address Babylon as a nation. And Babylon's really not the major player yet. So I want us to understand that because Isaiah dies before they start ruling. Long dies, uh, probably within 20 years of this writing, give or take. We don't really know for sure when he died. But considering he wrote this book and said he's under four kings of Judah, and that's it, he had to die within that, those four kings. And he's right now, I th- we're in the fourth king arena. Kind of get what I'm saying? So Isaiah's probably booking about 80, give or take. This too is part of the... Uh, but all of this, since I said 40, 45, uh, 46, 47... 45, 46, 47 are all together. It's all about Cyrus too, because he's going to... Re- uh, rule and reign as the Medo-Persian emperor who helps take out Babylon. So this is he's the one that's going to be part of the demise of Babylon in a day. And if you read that, that's Daniel, I think it's Daniel chapter 5, but we're not doing Daniel right now. Uh, it is my scope of to do in this class, but let's see how long I live first. <laughs> I would love to do Daniel, but uh, I haven't done that in a few years, like 20. Um, but I think it's probably pretty prevalent to Daniel. So maybe that's a prediction. We'll see. Um, but again, in Isaiah's time, I want you to understand this is all predictive prophecy. So this whole chapter is what we would put under predictive prophecy. Especially when it probably comes to fruition 539, 538 B.C. And again, we're about 7, 700 B.C. just for conversation. So it's not close. Uh, um, it's also about the powers... Okay, first of all, let's establish this. God is sovereign and in control of everything. God is omnipotent and in control of everything. God is also providential, which means he's over everything. He's sovereign over everything, and he controls everything, and he allows certain nations to do certain things. What's going to happen is Babylon is going to be given enough power to discipline Israel to what it takes. How far will they go? Now, God's not going to reel them in right away. Okay, um, and, and, and again, they're not a godly nation doing this, but they're being allowed by God to do it. And we still say, and I still say certain things, God gives us the same powers to carry out things. Do we carry them out in a godly fashion? I think I said on Sunday, there's some things as a nation we're not doing God, in a godly fashion, such as capital punishment. Okay, but capital punishment doesn't give us the right to do what? Exterminate a lot of people just for the sake of, well, that group may be bad kind of thing. We can't do that. Uh, so there's certain uh, places in paradigm. I guess the best way to say this is a certain paradigm you can't go past, and then God, but a God will allow it. So we've got to say, and within this, the one thing we've got to see and make sure we understand is verse four, where it says, "He is the Holy One of Israel." That means no matter what, God is still the God of Israel. And if you're doing something above and beyond to the nation of Israel, you're doing it to God. 
And I think I think even our nation may not recognize that. So if we do certain things against Israel... Now, I'm going to say this again, because I don't want to be misunderstood. I don't think Israel's a perfect nation. And there's a lot of things they do that I do not agree with. Okay? And I think there's a lot of things you may not agree with. But... It's God's nation, and we should protect her as best we can within what we can do. And I think we're going to see in the next 20 years, I'm not a prophet, nor do I play one on TV, but I think within the next 20 years, I can, I can see this nation forsaking the nation of Israel in a lot of places. Your vote counts. Because even the people that are running, that like Bernie, I'm pretty sure Bernie doesn't care about the nation of Israel. And he's Jewish. Like, what happened to you? You should be on that team. Um, but there are a lot of Jewish people, and I'm going to put this in right now so you'll know, a lot of pe- Jewish people that are secular. And they're secular in your thinking. They're not thinking religiously at all. And so when they go out there and they say, oh, I'm going to vote for whoever. Um, years ago I was talking to a, a wonderful lady, and she, w- she was so pro-Obama, and I asked her why. I know he, you know he doesn't really support Israel. She goes, well, I don't care. I'm in America. I, and I, I, I kind of grasp what she's saying, but I don't understand it. Because I'm, I'm not only Jewish, but I'm also a Bible believer that says God cares for that nation. We should, you know. It doesn't mean we have to agree with everything, you know. Um, so uh, when you have this going on, I think it's exponentially getting worse. That's all I'm saying. And, and I think if you're smart enough, which all of you are, and you see enough that's going on, in this world, you know there's been a, a real big swing of that pendulum in the last 10 years. Just, you know, what is this? Like the marketplace, buyer beware. Watch what's going on. Um, so that's kind of thing. So the question I, I, I really, we really need to, when we, when we reference Babylon here, and I, this needs to be asked, because some people will inevitably say, well, Babylon refers to Rome, when Rome or the Vatican City, so it's going to be something that comes out of Rome. Uh, and I think that doesn't miss justice to how we interpret Scripture. It's not ta- It says Babylon. We all know what Babylon is. It's not, uh, it's not talking about something that's mystical that we can't pinpoint. You understand? If we could pinpoint it on a map, they could too. And I think that's important. There are places in, in, in biblical prophecy we really can't pinpoint. So we could say it could be this, could be that. There's a, been a long-term argument when it says Rosh. Who is it talking about? Is it talking about Russia because it sounds similar? And there's good argument for Russia, and there's good argument for anybody north of Israel. But I can't say convincingly, it is this. I can say convincingly, Babylon's Babylon, because it says Babylon. Do you understand what I'm saying? And I want to make sure we, we understand that because it's a literal place, and literally it's been a place then in Isaiah's time, and we can pinpoint it today. It's called Baghdad. And it's still there. Uh, and still, for years, have had turmoil in that place. And uh, at some point, Iraq will take uh, be part of the conglomerate of nations that will take, and guess what? They're sort of north of Israel. And that's where most of the, I don't know if you know the terrain, most attacks have come to Israel from the north anyway. It's very hard to get in from, from the uh, uh, east because of the mountain ranges, and it's the other side is you need water. You need a navy to come get it. So... Uh, so, with that being said, uh, the conglomerations and nations that will come together will do some horrifying things to the nation, decimate Israel, and we're not studying Revelation, but what's left uh, of Israel uh, will be a, smith, a, a, a sliver of what it is even today. So, 
And again, it points us back to Genesis 12.3, and I think that should be a key as we go through the rest of Isaiah. Remember Genesis 12.3, God will bless those that bless her, the nation of Israel, and God will curse them that curse her. And, and I think all nations stand in that paradigm. You know, we as a nation have to be very careful. Uh, and so far, uh, there's some people there that I really are smart about that. The Arab world, however, including Iraq, and I'm going to say this again, the Arab world, even though there seems to be a lot of infighting with the Arab world, they have all have one thing in common. And if anybody remembers the year 1948, the year 1967, and whatever other years are going to happen, they all have one thing in common. They all have an enemy called Israel. So no matter what we say about these separate nations um, that really remain separated, uh, as long as they're a- Arab nations, they do have a common enemy. And God God has kept a record of them over the years from the beginning of time and knows how to d- demark who is and who they are. Uh, and and remember, it's... I don't know if you remember this, and I'm and so it's kind of be like talking to the choir, but it is family infighting, Arab and Jew. They all can, they also can say one thing together, like we sometimes say as a church, Father Abraham, okay? And they all have Abraham as their father. Um, but when people mock Israel, they mock God. And I want to be as clear as I can, because uh, I never have heard God being called anything, the Holy One of, what, fill in the blank, the Holy One of America, not there. Holy One of... Uh, just put in a Costa Rica. That's a beautiful place. So we'll go, Holy One of Costa Rica, you know. Let's go there because God loves Costa Rica. Well, he may love it, but that's not his nation, okay, uh, that he's going to use and work through. And I think that's important to see that. So let's look. Let's talk about the humbling of the Babylonians. Uh, what happens here, and I think it's interesting, the terminology he uses, come down and sit in the dust, a virgin daughter of Babylon. That, that, don't think of it as... as Think of it as this, a virgin's untouched. And Babylon thinks they're untouchable. That's the idea here. Uh, uh, sit on the ground with, without a throne. So you're going to be knocked down to the ground. Uh, o daughter of the Chaldeans, you shall no longer be called tender and delicate. So you put the idea of tender and delicate together with, uh, or soft and tender with um, the virgin daughter. It, it just equals untouchableness. Uh, and sitting in the ground, um, and 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 in that fashion, basically um, humbled, eating eating of dirt, uh, kind of idea. Verse two says, "Take millstones, grind grind meal, remove your veil, strip off your." Now it's interesting. Remove your veil, strip off your skirt, uncover your leg, cross the river. So it's kind of interesting. It seems like he's talking how they even dress today. You know, and I. I uh, customs, modesty, whatever you want to call it, that's fine. But what he's doing when he's he's saying he's going to embarrass them by by making taking away their modesty, uh, and and when you do this, just so you know, it's equaling in the Bible. This is considered slavehood. So they're, they're, God's going to take them from a place of grandeur and pay, place them in a place of slavehood. Uh, verse three even makes it even clearer when it says your nakedness will will be uncovered. Your shame also will be exposed. I will take vengeance and will not spare a man. So again, the terminology seems like, oh, God did this in such and such a date, but not to this extent. 
So I still believe this is uh, still uh, will happen at some point. And I believe verse 4 is, is if this was a song, because I, I don't know if it is, it doesn't have the same uh, poetic value as 49 will. When we get to 49, you'll see the difference. But if this is a song, I would put verse 4 as the refrain that you would keep singing it throughout. You know, stamp it. We did that with chapter 45. Remember we took one verse and stamped it throughout the, the chapter? I would stamp this throughout all of Isaiah's dealings because he, he, he basically is talking about Babylon, but he says, our Redeemer. Our, you, you, listen, Isaiah realizes Israel's the Redeemer is the Lord, but it's everyone's Redeemer. And if you don't come to the Lord, you're not going to have redemption and you're going to pay the other price uh, being outside of that. So he says, Our Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, is his name, the Holy One of Israel. And time and time again, this is repeated. The idea of Redeemer is used 19 times in the Old Testament. 13 times, of those 19, 13 are from chapter 41 to 63 of Isaiah. So what is Isaiah trying to hammer home? That no matter what's going on, God is the Redeemer. He's the one to turn to. To buy you out. What does a redeemer do? Buy them off the slave market. So Babylon's look like they're being placed on the slave market. They've been reduced to slavery. And the only way to get purchased off of that is like Israel would buy the redeemer. Kind of get the picture? It's a beautiful picture. Uh, I, th- I think one time, maybe one night, we'll spend some time just looking at the idea of redemption. It's a beautiful picture. Painted to us what only the Lord can do. He's also called... Uh, the Lord here, His sacred name. Now, I don't know how many how many people have the New American Standard Version, but if you don't, Lord is on all caps in mine. So it distinguishes it from other uses of the word. If it's all caps, it's known as the Tetragrammaton. Fancy word. Tetra means four. Grammaton means letter, basically. Four letters. So the four letters, these are very sacred to the Jew. Some are so sacred, they don't even say it. And that's why we sometimes say Yahweh, ever heard that? Or Jehovah? Maybe. I don't think it's close. Uh, it's just four letters. It's his sacred name. It is, it is his name only, and it is a name. Okay? Basically comes down to I am. The, uh, you know, we could say the, uh, the I am of everything. The existent one. The all existing one. Uh, it started in Exodus chapter 3. Well, when you see that, your Bibles, if you have a Bible that... Tr- that does that caps, all caps things, it helps distinguish it. That way you know that's that word all the time. So we have that terminology, Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, the Lord of armies, I guess is the best way to say it, uh, is his name. And that's what Jews use today to call the Lord. They don't call him Adonai. They don't call him Yahweh, Yehovah, or whatever you want to call it. They call him Hashem. Hashem is the name. And that's what they use. They says that is his name. So instead of calling him his name, they call him the name. You all confused? Or you got you with me, right? So, which is interesting because even though they're not, they don't want they they want to be very careful with the sacred name. They're still calling him the name. So in a lot of places, if you're looking through a Hebrew translation, you see, you will see where Jehovah was or the Tetragrammaton. It doesn't. It just says Hashem. They just Totally take it out of the text because they don't even want to write the name. That's kind of that's cool, and cool. I wish they respected all of him like that, <laughs> not just uh, his name, but the understanding of his son and everything. And then he said, and they said, the Holy One of Israel. And one day that will be completely fulfilled because today we can call him the Holy One of Israel, but does Israel recognize him? 
No. So this refrain should be stamped over this constantly. Uh, verses 5 through 7, we'll see the abuse of Babylon. What causes God to carry out some repercussions in verbiage that will be carried out in physicality at some point? So verse 5 says, Sit silently and go into darkness, O daughter of the Chaldeans. Uh, Chaldeans and Babylon's, Babylonians are interchangeable. Okay, Babylon is basically... Um, you could say it like this. That's their nation. Chaldeans is their language. Kind of we, the best way to put it. Uh, when you go to school, you don't go to the school of the Babylonians. You go to school of the Chaldeans. <laughs> so, uh, so when Daniel went to school, he's taught Chaldeans, even though he's in Babylon. I'm confusing you all. I hope that's good. You all could do some homework tonight and figure that all out. But basically, what he's saying is, is again, in Hebrew poetry, he's using those names interchangeably. Because he said before, he said what? Virgin daughter of Babylon. Now he says daughter of the Chaldeans. So he's talking about the same people. That's that's was the main point. For you will be uh, no more be called the queen of kingdoms, which is which is interesting because she had elevated the queen of kingdoms. Uh, again, dealing with the idea uh, of the proclamation of being ripped from superiority to nothing. Uh, look at Iraq today. If you were to put Iraq in world order of prominence, where would they be placed? Now, we wouldn't put them on the bottom because there's some really poor countries out there. I don't know if you realize that. That if you make a buck today, you just made you know a third of their economy. Um, so there's a lot of countries out there that are poor. But they're not in the upper echelon of countries. They're probably right in the, what is it called? The mediocre group. Okay, be careful, there's danger, but, you know, not too much yet. But I think they're, so God has lowered them in world order, but they're not out of a world order. They're there. And some point day they're going to be out, um, totally out. And verse 6 basically said, I was angry with my people. So God was what? Going to punish Israel. I, I, I profaned my heritage. That means God did something against himself because he promised to do something with Israel and Israel failed and God had to punish him because God is a just God. Okay? And he said, he goes on, and gave them into your hand. I gave them. How did Babylon end up getting, getting a hold of Israel? Because God allowed it. Uh, but you did not show mercy to them. In other words, you went beyond the scope of what you should have been doing just taking a nation in captive. Okay? And the aged, you made your yoke very heavy. And that's, that's important, how you treat the aged. And it's all of us, right? Most of us are getting aged. How you treat your older people is very important. Because you're showing care and concern for their life. Because their life is important as anything. And if you're doing double harm to the old people, what are you doing? It trickles down, remember? What are you doing to everybody else? So if this kind of injustice is doing to, being dealt out to the older people, what's being dealt out to those that can carry more of a burden? And that's what God sees what they're doing. Um, they're not showing mercy, which kind of is a key, key indictment here because God is still, even though God is carrying out justice, he's still merciful. You can't erase out of God's character and say, okay, God's carrying out justice and he threw mercy to the side. That's not happening. God's going to carry out justice as well as be merciful. Just he's working in, in carrying out judgment that has to be dealt out. And uh, that's why when we looked at the cross, how much God had dealt in judgment to his son while showing mercy at the same time to who? Us. So there were, it was never uh, cast aside. And then John looks at the whole 
thing and says, God loves the world. I don't even like it. So think how God uh, functions in this world and how he looks at the world. It's not that they're lovable, because we're not, but that's who God is. Kind of get what I'm saying? I think it's important to see that because while God was punishing Israel for their sins that they needed to be dealt with, it needed to happen, it was their wake-up call for their spiritual understanding, he at the same time was holding nations accountable how, they, how their actions were still to the nation of Israel. So no, no matter what he was doing and allowing the nations to do, they were still accountable for what they did. Understand what I'm saying? I think that's important for us to do that because no matter what God uses us for, we still have to be a merciful nation. I think that's important. Uh, and, and not to the side where we, we're passive. That's a whole different arena. Uh, and just think of that. Let's put the old people in a different realm. Put them in helpless. They're helpless. A lot of older people are helpless. How will you treat the helpless? Well, basically the indictment was they gave them a double yoke. They made it worse for them to, to deal with themselves in society. So God permitted Babylon the right to conquer his people, uh, to bring them in captive, because uh, not only because of their superiority. Now, you got to remember, Babylon is superior at this time when they do this. They are the uh, empire of all empires. Nebuchadnezzar was called the king of all kings by Daniel. I think that's the phraseology or something really close to that. So Daniel recognized him as, a, as, a, as a, the emperor of this huge uh, empire. And, um, but God's still using them for a purpose to carry out this um, punishment to Israel. Uh, and verse 7 says, basically... You said you shall be a king for a queen forever. Excuse me. These things you did not consider nor remember the outcome of them. So again, God's recalling to them. Here's what they've done. They 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 become a superpower. Reverse, um, basically, uh, brought down to a non-power. Um, the think about this. The Arab is world uh, Arab Islamic world today thinks this, and this is what they're thinking is. So I'm going to plug you into some of their thinking. They can dominate the world. Not just dominate the Middle East. They can dominate the world. And their thinking is, so look around you and do with with what I'm going to say with what you do with responsibility. Okay? They think if they multiply fast enough, they can take over cities, which takes over nations. And when there's too many of them, they start getting public office. Now, I'm going to say this as nicely as I possibly can. There's a lot of them in office today. Go figure where that came from. They don't hold the same philosophies as this country. They will not. And when our president plays the schoolyard bully, everybody gets mad at him. But he is absolutely correct with what he says. There's certain things America holds they do not hold to. And they were voted in by American votes. Okay? So just just think what's happening. Now, that's happening in America. Minnesota, Michigan, things like that. But think what's happening in London, okay, in in your foreign countries, because London is one of the biggest that are being taken over. And, and some of those, when they comes in, I'm going to give you the greatest warning ever. Not only do they come in, but they bring their laws, not our laws. And Sharia law is the most dangerous law ever ever conceived of by mankind. And uh, if you want to get a book, I'm going to recommend a book. Jay Selklow wrote a book, The President's Lawyer, and I'm trying to think of the name of it. 
Sharia law. I'm pretty sure it's called Sharia law. Okay, huh? Sokolov. Yeah, the, his lawyer. It, but you got to get it and read it because the guy does a phenomenal job because he's a lawyer on what that law will do to America. And he's at least sitting in the president's ear. I don't know where the president is biblically, but he's surrounded. And I don't know where Jay is as a believer. I know, but I don't know where he is as a believer. I, I know he's a believer, but I, I don't know where he gets in the paradigm. You understand what I'm saying? Um, but that's nothing wrong. The problem is he knows what he's talking about when it comes to Sharia law. And it's, and it's a wonderful book if you want something to really annoy you. If you don't, 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 don't get it. And, but the idea here is what I want you to see is that their, I, I believe the core of Islamic religion is to rule the world. And that's what Babylon's core was at that time. Uh, it wasn't Islamic, obviously, because that didn't come around for over a thousand, more than a thousand years later, more than that even, but to be fully developed. Um, but this, the core thinking is still the same, is that the, they're the queen of nations. They want to rule the world. Uh, but a nation, and I, and I put down as a principle that we got to know, a nation that does not honor and esteem God uh, is in a real bad place anyway. So even us as a nation, we should take that as warning that we should esteem uh, and honor God because um, God will deal out wrath at some time and it will come to the nations. I've read the book, the rest of this one, <laughs> not Jay's. <laughs> okay. Um, verse 8. Verse 8 talks about, again, the self-assurance of Babylon suddenly and abruptly comes to a halt, an end. Uh, notice what he says here. It's interesting. Now then, hear this, you sensual people. Now, he's not saying it to a lust kind of thing, but it was all about themselves. It was a hedonistic country. It was it, it, They were into the wonderful things they did. When uh, Nebuchadnezzar does some wonderful things uh, historically, it's all about him, and then God's got to level him to what? An animal kind of thing, if you read, again, back to Daniel. Uh, who dwells securely, who says in your heart, I am and there is no one beside me. So if you say that, you're what? You're, you think you're the end-all, be-all nation. Uh, and it says it twice. It'll say it later in this chapter. Uh, Nor shall I know the loss of children, but these these two things shall come on you suddenly in a day. One, loss of children, widowhood. Now, if you erase a generation, no one's succeeding you. And if you erase, if you have widowhood, what did you just lose? All the men. So you can't re- reproduce and make more children so God said, I'll level you this way. I'll erase a generation from underneath you, and you can't make more. Isn't that scary? So that hasn't happened, though, to this nation at this, at this point. Uh, they shall come on you in full measure in spite of your sorceries. Notice what they're turning to. In spite of the great power of your spells. And a lot of Islamic understanding and some of the uh, outside Judaism, believe it or not, is m- very mysticism. It's all about mystics, and 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 it's borderline with with Judaism. It's borderline sorcery, and things they said. There was a Messiah, a guy that thought he was a Messiah, Sabbatai Ziv. I don't know if anybody's ever heard of him. Real quick, I'll tell you, he was a rabbi that everybody wanted, thought he was the Messiah, and he became nuts. And he turned the law for his use. He broke every law, everything in the Torah, just to say he was the Messiah, because the Messiah could do what? 
fulfill the law or break the law. It's his law, right? Then he, then he converted to Islam. He was an Islamic rabbi in about 1660, I want to say 1662. Date's probably really not right, but, but you can look him up. He's a fascinating character study because he's nuts. But everybody, I mean, there are people that are still called neo sabbath uh, uh, I try and get how, how they say it, but they basically, they're still believers in Sabbatai Zeb being the Messiah. And this is what, 400 years later? And they still believe he's, he's going to come back when, you know, kind of thing. Um, but he was nuts. And the reason I'm bringing him up in all this, he, he got into mysticism and, and magic spells and sorcery and all these other goofy things. And some of the things you read, some of just a snippet of his biography, you say, this guy's nuts. How do Jews not believe in Jesus? That's, that's the first thing you got to say, because they believe he is. And there's another sect of Jews that are waiting for Rabbi Shearson of New York to raise from the dead, and he's been dead since 92. And you can stand and look at that grave. He ain't moving, you know, because he's not coming back at any point. Um, but this is the things that, that people believe because they believe. And why? They, they're, they're, they're evil in their, in their roots. Cause they, and they, then they, they attribute things to both these rabbis that Jesus has fulfilled. <laughs> and they said, oh, Jesus isn't it. But he did these things and he wasn't wacko <laughs> or, or whatever some of these guys did. Uh, uh, which is funny because Jesus did say he was the Messiah, right? He did say he was equal to God, right? Shearson in, in New York said, I don't, I'm not the rabbi. I don't want to be the rabbi. Until when he died, they made him the rabbi. I mean the Messiah. He's just a rabbi. He said, I wasn't that. I wasn't. They had messianic hopes. That somebody's got to fill it. Well, what's wrong with Jesus? And this is what happened. Booksbaum, uh, who was uh, Books Bazin, I'll get his name right. It's a very difficult name. He used to run Friends for Israel. He writes this about this. The, uh, verse. 10. Let's read verse 10. I want to read what he wrote about verse 10. And you felt the, uh, secure in your wickedness and said, No one sees me, your wisdom and your knowledge, and, your, and you have, they have deluded you. In other words, all of that stuff you've gotten in. And remember, the Chaldeans were super smart. Their math excelled. They were really smart people, but their, their wisdom and their knowledge deluded them. For you have said in your heart, they said in their heart, I am, and there is no one beside me. So let's go off of that. The reason, this is what he writes, the reason for Babylon's downfall was her utter wickedness and corruption. It expressed itself in the use of advanced technology and scientific knowledge, but without any moral considerations. Their engineering skills, their irrigation systems, their military organizations, their enormous temples and palaces, their works of art, and their unexcelled legal system were the marvel and envy of the ancient world. Yet all this knowledge and wisdom used for selfish purposes to enslave nations could only lead to final disaster. Without the knowledge of God, their wisdom was actually great folly. Their religion mostly consisted of stupefying witchcraft and sorcery, and then a thousand years later became Islamic, right? In the end, Babylon went the way of all great empires of ancient and more recent times, godless intoxication with their own might and accomplishments, their ruthlessness and wickedness destroyed them. That I can't say, see anything more succinct said about that than that. Isn't that crazy? Power-hungry, destroying people because why? They left God out and went to fill that vacuum with other things. Um, again, uh, 
verse 11 <coughs> stresses them, the Babylonians, the stresses on the word you. We'll see it a couple times uh, in here, for, I think five times, six times it's in here. It's the stresses on the word you. Look, look at how it says this. Um, uh, but evil will come on you, which you will not know how to charm away. See, the charm has to do with, again, magic, uh, sorcery. And disaster will fall on you, which you cannot atone. And destruction about which you do not know will come upon you suddenly. So God's very definitive who he's talking about. Very, very strong, stressing, and emphatically saying you. That, and I love the part, destruction will come upon you suddenly. Now, here's the key. In Daniel, destruction comes on them in a night. In a night, the Persians take over. Okay? But it's not full destruction. It's just a takeover. And then Babylon just disappears. I think one day this will absolutely happen. Where they will be absolutely destroyed. Uh, and again, what we see sometimes in, in, in these ways of fulfilling prophecy is we say God's hands on it because this is like that. And we can say that. There's things in our history that we can say this is like that. It's not the final, but it sure is like that. You know, um, just different things has happened. We can put put our finger on it and say that's similar to what the end will be like, but it's not the end because the end says these things still also have to happen. Remember, for it to be the end, for instance, right now somebody says uh, Israel's building a temple and they're going to have sacrifices because Passover's coming. Let's say this is going to happen. Well, I'm going to say that's nice because the, the end talks about that there will be a millennial sacrifice and the temple rebuilt, but it's not way it should be because we're still here. I have issues if I'm still here. Because it says the next thing on God's calendar, God's spiritual calendar for us is taking away. We're going we're to be... Okay, the next thing for Israel is the tribulation. You get what I'm saying? So I'm, I'm a calendar guy to God's calendar and I'm saying if these things happen, which could be that, it's not that because I'm. this is what's next. Kind of get what I'm saying? So, 12, stand fast in your spells and in your sorceries, which you have labored from your youth. Perhaps you will be able to profit. Perhaps you may cause trembling. So, because if here's the insights. If you want to stay like that, stay like that. You'll remain powerless. That's what God's saying. Uh, he's, he's even, and this is where the sarcasm comes in, because here's, here's what Babylon had done. They, become, they got into witchcraft, sorcery, spells, astrologers, stargazing, new moons, predictions. And God's saying, okay, if you want to be into that, let it help you. Go ahead. Now, I'm going to say something. If you go into that and you let that help you, it's not going to help you. I knew a lady that religiously read her uh, horoscope. Horoscope. I don't know who again. Horoscope. Horoscope every day. And she said, I can't believe how many times that's right on. I go, that isn't even specific. That is real general. You understand? Like, I could be an Aquarius and a Scorpio and, and Gemini and I could, on the same day. Just read them. You could probably fit in all of them because you say, oh, all this stuff's going to happen. And then, you know, then you, then you win the lottery or something, okay? That's never happened. Um, but you read those things, they're very general. And people fall for it like it's specific. Oh, it's talking to me. I can't believe how much they know me. What? Did you read that? You know, it's like... You know, God reigns on the just and the unjust. You know that, right? It's called common grace. Okay? When you start looking at things and say specifically it's talking to me like that, you're, you're just, you bought into the 
Nonsense, okay? Verse 13 says, and that's what, again, that's what Babylon's going to, it has done. They, they'll buy into that nonsense. You are wearied with your many counsels. Let now the astrologers, those who prophesy by the stars, those who predict the new moon, stand up and save you from what will come. Okay, you want to go into that? There's your Savior. You know? I always wanted to, I know, I'm going to, give me one second to be nasty. I'm sorry. I want to know what Carl Sagan's doing today. That's all. Carl Sagan worshipped the stars and was all about the stars, and he always would say, everything came from this. And I say, Carl, how's this today treating you? What'd they get you? You believed in that system. Where are you at today? Now, I'm probably never see Carl Sagan, and you'll never see him ever again, too, but he bought into a bill of goods because he thought this, the cosmos, was it. Remember the series? The cosmos. Yeah. But he was, he was worshiping just what they were saying. He's, he's an astrologer. He said, well, that's a science. Well, it is, but you've got to separate the science from when it doesn't become a science. You know? If you want to study things, you know, fine. But it's funny because Jesus says to people, you can tell the signs of what's happening in a day by red skies at night, sailors. And the or is it the other way around? I always get those mixed up. Okay. But the point is you could do that, right? You could look at that and say, here's, here's the sign. But you can't look at the Bible and see that what God's really saying. You, you're looking at, star, at skies for certain things, and I will guarantee you they probably have flipped a few times in my lifetime. So, uh, I don't know. I saw a beautiful, beautiful red sunset coming home last night from I was God knows where in nowhere, Oklahoma. I was coming back, and it was a beautiful red sunset. And today's been what? A beautiful day, so we're good. Uh, but I didn't look at that and say, that's it. I just said, thank God for that. That's beautiful. This ride's too long. Um, so the basically the principle we should get out of this, and we'll close in, in two seconds, basically is go ahead, allow yourself to fall for false religion, and it will destroy you, and the Lord knows it. That's what's happening. Babylon fell for false religion, left God out, and I'm going to say this. Any religion that's not about God is demonic. You all know that, right? You all know that if you're worshiping any idol, it's demonic. So let, let's be civil. Today, Iraq is Islamic. It is demonic. Do you understand that? They're not serving the true and one God. And um, if I have to pay for this one day, I will. But they are what? Demonic. And devil, the devil is driving. And here's what the devil has always done. He says three things. Is this what God has said? This is what God has said. Make sure this is what God will say. He takes those three ideas and jams it into everything else that's not the scripture and then takes the scripture and does those same three things. So for instance, we'll just take one step back to Sunday. We're talking about scribes and Pharisees. They added the scripture. 